I believe that together we can make America great again. Well, if ever there was a day to do a show called Everybody Calm Down, they're mad at Ellen. People are mad at Ellen DeGeneres, a lesbian Muppet is now in the firing line of cancel culture for hanging out with George W. Bush. Greetings. Uh, Jimmy Fallon here, host of Everybody Calm Down, head writer for the Kennedy Program, which you can watch on Fox Business Monday through Thursday at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. I am joined, as always, in studio by the legend, Sean Barry. Nice to see you here, hot stuff. Hi, Jimmy. And I have to tell you, uh, what an apropos day uh, for today's co-hosts, because everybody's mad at Ellen DeGeneres for hanging out with George W. Bush right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm often angry at myself for hanging out with this man. <laughs> I mean, furious. He is a, he is a writer for Imposters on Netflix. He's also working on a black ops project we're not allowed to discuss on the air. And he has starred in a scene on television with Uma Thurman. And I want to know I about have. this. Welcome yeah. the legend. Dean Imperial, Imperial the Magician, What's returns. Up, to good everybody to calm down. Hey, girl. Good to be back. Hey, What's girl. Up, girl. How you doing, girl? I'm good, girl. You know Lincoln does that to me every day when I take him to school. Yeah. He'll be like, bye, girl. <laughs> See you later, yeah, girl. And then, yeah, the, yeah, and, yeah. and then the security guard's like, yeah, is this even this kid's dad? What's going on here? No. You know? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, like, so. <laughs> it's so weird, man. It's so weird. Yeah, good, uh, good, good to see you on another Calm Lovely News morning. And, yep. uh, you know, I like to tell people that are listening to the show for the first time what we are because mm-hmm. in the history of in, in history of telling people to calm down it's never worked no, no, no one has ever, ever said like yeah calm down you, you generally that the, the next sound you hear is a chair going through a window if you're it's, telling someone to calm down generally they're too far gone already yeah and, when you're pulling that out yeah they're and, already gone yeah that's one two is that you've already contributed to the situation yourself like you're probably the <laughs> yeah. reason so, they've they've lost somebody, their mind. Whenever someone tells me to calm down in a situation, it yeah. only makes me more upset. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm like, I Jenny. I'm like, Jenny, calm down. The stripper is not keeping the baby. Jenny, you're acting like a lunatic here, and it's it has nothing to do with that. Calm down. She's uh, not keeping it. Come on, okay? Jenny. Lincoln, Whew. Lincoln, go upstairs. But the point is, uh, if ever there was a go day, upstairs, girl. Yeah. If ever, hey, girl. <laughs> girl, you better go. Everything's. <laughs> Fine, Jenny. Go upstairs, girl. Go upstairs, girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh Nothing God. weird here. Um, but but if, but if ever there was a day to tell people to calm down, I, I think it is today. And, and on this show, we make a great spectacle of, of reminding everyone, like, we don't care on this show. We don't care. We don't care who you vote for. We don't care why you vote for them. We just want you to be cool, you know? And uh, we're kind of dovetailing today, which is not a common thread, but we're kind of dovetailing with Ellen DeGeneres Because everybody wants to kill Ellen because you hung out with George W. Bush, an ex-president. I know. At a cowboy game. And um, this is like the moment for me where you realize we've lost our minds. And and, and the reason I say that is I I don't blame society so much because we've been trained on social media now to find like indiscretions and just ruin people over them. There's no sentencing guideline. There's no, it's just, oh, we, you, you, you know, you, 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 a foul, that was a foul. That's a violation. You're, you're gone for life. That's kind of what we're doing. But I kind of on some level blame the rest of Hollywood because in the last three years, they've made it cool to hate Trump supporters. Like they've openly got up at podiums and been like, screw these people. It's us against the world. History will remember this moment. It's now or never. And I, I hate to borrow their term normalizing, but they've normalized the idea that it's okay to hate people. And I think yeah. that's why we do a show called Everybody Calm Down is to remind people listening that the people you hate on social media like a lot of the same stuff as you. And a lot of them are very, yes, a lot of them are very cool. Uh, They consume the same content and they want the same things out of their existence. What do people want? They want money. They want safety. They want to have sex. That's what everybody wants. There's not money, safety, and sex. If you ran on that as your, as your slogan, you win. I'm Hillary Clinton and I approve this message. And it's true. And, and, And the reality is people are being taught to overlook those things because of this branding exercise that's made the environment so toxic. You know, mm-hmm. and um, 
you know, Ellen, she actually stood up to the mob. I give Ellen a lot of credit. What she said yesterday was, hey, when I say at the end of my show every day to be kind, I don't mean just be kind to people who agree with you. I mean, be kind to effing everybody, which is what you're supposed to do. No? Absolutely. In fact, it's the only way any problem is ever going to get solved. Yeah. If you actually are, you know, if you actually can sit down with somebody who you disagree with and actually have a conversation and see that they're a real human, yeah. the only way you can come to a compromise. Any, you know, like, it's so, it's so absurd to me. I have a quick question, though. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're president and you're Ellen DeGeneres, right? Mm-hmm. You don't just end up with tickets next to each other, obviously. Right? No. I just got to get that out of the way. Yeah. You got to know ahead of time. So mm-hmm. this was a decision she made before. It's not like she ended up in the box with yeah. him out of nowhere. Uh-huh. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So she she made a decision before that, yeah, it might be cool to sit with an ex-president. Mm-hmm. That's you know? what, well, this is what happened. I'll tell you exactly what happened. Um, Jerry Jones, who owns the team, has a big box at AT&T Stadium where he invites celebrities to come sit with him and watch the game. So he invited Ellen, he invited the Bushes, um, and he, you know, she knew ahead of time. She said on her show yesterday, she knew she hadn't been invited. She knew she was going to see George Bush. Uh, and she said, yeah, we don't agree on a lot. Uh, but, you know, uh, she made a joke. She's like, we don't agree on a lot because I'm a Packers fan. They're Cowboys fans. Like, she went that right. way. Uh, she's like, there were a lot of whistleblowers, uh, the referees. You know, Ellen, she's yeah. a Muppet. Right. She's a, she's adorable. She's Ellen. Yeah. Uh, so so the point is, she has a, they have a mutual friend in Jerry Jones who invited them. But what's crazy to me, and there's so many directions to go with this, is George W. Bush, you know how we've kind of, again, I hate the term normalized, but who loves George W. Bush? What public figure loves George W. Bush and has openly stated this more than anyone we know is Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama. Everybody loves Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama's, yes, Michelle Obama hugs him, kisses him, brings him chocolates, says he tells me jokes, like to the point that people think like, uh, you know, G-dubs might be making a move on the side. That's just how white folks will do you. And uh, the point is, (laughs) I think that... Who thinks that? I think. Well, I think. I think. Does anybody really think that? No, I didn't mean I think that. I meant like. (laughs) I think that like outrage culture. The the reason it's so exhausting. Yeah. Is because if you really wanted to be apply a fair standard across the board, you'd have to hate Michelle Obama more than anything in the world. And who wants to hate Michelle Obama? She's Michelle Obama. Let her be. That's a perfect mathematical equation to throw in people's faces. Yeah. She hanging. Michelle Obama loves George Bush. She openly says, I love this man. He's adorable. Right. You can't get a more beloved funny. figure on be- the left than be- Michelle Obama. It doesn't get any more beloved. No, it that's it. It doesn't. And she loves George W. Bush, but Ellen should go down. So is this is this anti-lesbian bias? Like, what is it? It's not, obviously. It's just, you know, people being oh, bored. I it's, see what you're saying. Yeah, it's, yeah, pe- it's, it's people being bored it, and angry. It's and- people sitting on a toilet and seeing what will get 100 likes if they tweet it. That's all, yeah. um, that's, all that's left of us as a country. Yeah. We've just become activists on toilets tweeting things. And yes. we talked about this, I believe, in last week's stellar wife privilege episode, by the way, which mm-hmm. is now uh, second in our all-time uh, downloads on Megaphone. Oh, Kennedy, yeah? Kennedy is now in the lead. You, Jenny, Phil, and Tess are now in second. Really? Ahead of a WWE champion. Oh, my God. But he has like 700 million Twitter followers, so if he just tweets it by accident, he gets back in the lead. It's kind of unfair. <laughs> okay, but, gotcha. uh, but, but moving on, what I was going to say is, you know, we've gotten to this point where I think as a society, like, there's no, th- you know, we, we always say this, like, the, the smartphone has made us so stupid, mm-hmm. and everybody is such a reactionary now that they're just, they're, no one's thinking for themselves. Everybody's yeah. just being told how to think. They're like, oh, we're mad at Ellen, let's go get Ellen, you know? But I think this might be one of those moments because Ellen yeah. is she's kind of like Ellen's revered. She is respected by women on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. And um, this might be that moment where like cancel culture kind of went too far um, yeah. because it's exposing them for who they are. And, and I guess mm-hmm. what I mean by that is, is that now that we've taken a few laps on social media, it's something that's been prominent in our lives now for about nine or ten years. We've finally all come to realize who these people are time and time again, meaning the cancel culture crowd are the same people that existed before social media. 
who would come to parties, make a scene, criticize someone's Halloween costume, upset the apple cart at Thanksgiving and destroy everybody's time. The point yeah. is, they're people nobody wants to hang out with. And the vast, yeah. vast majority of liberals feel that way about them too. Like Jessica Tarlov's going to be on the show tomorrow, our great friend. Uh -huh. And I guarantee you, without even talking to her about this, that she thinks it's absurd that Ellen DeGeneres can't hang out with George W. Bush without catching, you know, S on social media. You know, of course. The, the guy's the next president. Like if you yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to be one of those lazy people. It's like, if you don't like it, leave because nobody's leaving. We, we, we yeah. learned that after the 2016 election, 350,000 people said they were leaving if Trump won. Nobody left. And, you know, what was racist about that, by the way, Dean. Everybody yeah. was like, oh, if Trump gets elected. I'm moving to Canada. Yeah. Mexico's just as close, people. But not one person threatened to move to Mexico. Uh -huh. uh -huh. Yeah, how about Mexico? that? There yeah. you go. Right. Uh, but the point is, I think this might be their jump the shark moment for outrage culture. Because everybody in the country is like, wait, really? Like, you know, the term is pick your battles. See, but nobody has energy, I think. There's not enough people on the left that have energy to hate. George W. Bush anymore. There's no. no energy left because mm -hmm. they're consumed with Trump. So this is like a, I think this is a blip. Yeah, I don't think it's going to last. Mm -hmm. And I, and all politicians. What's that great line from uh, uh, Chinatown? Po uh, if politicians and whores uh, hang out uh, uh, long enough, they'll all become respectable. <laughs> I butchered the line, but that's the point. Is no. that George W. Bush, whoever it is, you become kind of cool if you've been a public, if you've been a president. Yeah, you you become cool no matter what, and interesting no matter what. You weathered the storm, Dude, and, you and, and you did a job that. Nobody else probably can handle. And can we jump in on George W. Bush? As, as mad as people want to get about George W. Bush, he was president oh, yeah. on September 11th. Yeah. And had the gig of holding the country together when we yes. had just suffered the biggest attack in the history of our soil and yep. lost thousands of lives in America. And this is a guy who's now flying around. It's so crazy, but Ari Fleischer, who frequently comes in on Kennedy, former White House press secretary, has that great story about the only plane in the sky, how Bush yeah. was the only plane in the sky on 9-11. They had Air Force One up in the air flying around. And back then, they didn't have technology that they do now, so they couldn't watch TV. They would have to, like, oh. dip the plane down to 10,000 feet to get a signal to watch TV. And they didn't have yeah. cell phones and they didn't have texting. So he was getting briefed, like, 40 minutes at a time, an hour at a time. Think about that. We're oh, getting man. news updates at 100 times the speed the president of the United States was on 9-11. And yeah. that's how much the phone has corrupted who we are as a people is just yeah. think of the sheer math of that. We're now yeah. doing things at, at probably a thousand times the speed we used to do them. And yeah. there's no way that doesn't compromise our functionality as people. You oh, dig? completely. Because we're completely distracted with something that's in our hand every mm -hmm. second. Yeah. And there's no way that somebody – this is the big fear that another culture that doesn't have the same – uh, that isn't wired that way can totally come up from behind us in another, you yeah. know, in some way because because our entire country is stuck staring at a screen. Yes, well, yo, if you ever read, it's funny, Empire of the Summer Moon, uh, great book about the Comanche Indians, same oh, type of thing. It. Well, they were like farmers that weren't really killing it as farmers. Uh, so they were like a tribe that wasn't as dominant regionally as the other as the bigger tribes who who had a great thriving agriculture scene and killing a lot of buffalo and making stuff happen. But while everybody was doing the, the advanced stuff and they were consumed with the advanced stuff, the Comanches figured out the horse because the horse had wound up on the Mexican continent from the Spanish. Oh, uh, wow. And they just figured out the horse and came riding up from the south and just kicked everybody's ass. Oh, and, right. and that's what could be that's what could be happening is like we're all refreshing our page. <laughs> yeah, we're all they figured out they figured out the horse. Yeah, cuz they got their hands on the horse, no one had the horse. They were like, like yeah, this animal's not doing anything. And yeah, uh Yeah. Have you not really it's yeah. not really like there's no milk coming from this horse? Yeah, they're like what do we do with it? And they're like, "Ah, yeah. ha, ha What if we grab some Watch bow this. and arrows? And go kick everybody's ass. They figured out the horse. They did. They figured out the horse. The Ford Mustang has nothing on the Comanche Mustang. You know, they I'm guys, the guy who figured out the horse. They figured out the horse. I should get so, a better seat. Yeah. What, what's going on here? So okay, while I figured out the horse. So go while ahead. we're all sitting here refreshing our Instagram feed to see what the like count is, someone could be figuring out the modern day horse and coming to kick our ass. Here's my question, because this is uh, is very interesting to me. Yeah. Do you know how the most people? And this speaks to your earlier point. Most people are okay with liking Bush now because they hate Trump more. 
Yeah. Who is going to come along that's going to make it okay to like Trump in 10 years? Oof. Oh, uh, whoever – I mean whoever's in office. What's yeah. going to slowly happen is the more interesting story is going to be – probably what would happen if like – if Trump loses in November, what's going to happen is there's going to be like – they're going to stick with Trump for a while because yeah. they're going to realize like we got to stay with him. We're going to put him on trial. They're going to do all that yeah, stuff, yeah. right? Eventually that's going to fade out, but Trump will keep getting headlines. And, and wh- what will happen is eventually um, they'll start – They'll be. They'll have to create a storyline mm-hmm. to cre- hate whoever's in office. Mm. Yeah, that's come. Well, assuming it's a Republican. If it's a Democrat, it'll take. Oh well, a, no. We'll, we'll still well, hate Trump for a while. But, yeah, we'll hate Trump for a while, and they'll create like other, you know, political mm-hmm. kind of enemies and things yeah. like that. But, but they're going to have to create some kind of drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to keep, keep their ratings up, keep everybody fired up in the huddle. Yeah, you know, um, it's crazy. But but it be, George W. Bush, the gentleman we're talking about, he may have written the epitaph on the Trump presidency at the inauguration. If you remember this. Yeah. Um, when Trump finished <laughs> his inaugural address, Bush was caught yes. on a hot mic saying, that was some weird shit. That's I what he said that. as he was walking <laughs> yes. off the, as he was walking off the <laughs> stage. See, that's, see, that's why I would want to hang out with him. Yeah, of course. He's great. Like that. No, he's great. And I think some, someday whenever this is over in a year or in four years or in eight years, someone's going to be like, I think George Bush summed it up first, best the first day. Cause I think we're going to have to survive you know who this. He said that too. Who? Michelle Obama. Yeah. He did, right? Yeah. Cause they always sit next to, to each other at functions. Yeah. That's why they got to know each other so well. Yeah. And all these things, that's they, line, said it too. they line up all the presidents in order that they were in mm-hmm. office. And yeah. Michelle Obama always wanted up sitting right next to George W. That's, that's crazy. That's crazy. I'll, I'll give you two great George Bushes. First of all, um, I, I worship George Bush. And uh, from a standpoint of, I read his book, Decision Points. Yeah. And I read it at a time, it was like a, he was out of office like a month. And to understand how toxic the environment was in the country at the end of his second term, I was reading Decision Points in the Dallas airport covering the cover. I'm not even kidding, because there was that much hostility, and I was like, I really just yeah. don't feel like bothering, being bothered while I travel with Jenny right now. You know, she's upset enough when we travel. We don't need to fight. In some, Dallas, yeah, in Dallas, where the guy lives. He lives outside of Dallas. But but a couple yeah. of couple of quick bushes. So I that same month heard him call an inning of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN with John Miller and Joe Morgan. He Dean, he did play by play. Remember I told you this? I was like, Oh my you God, did George it. Bush did play by play. He was amazing. He, told me. he was yeah. amazing. Yeah, he, he was like such a good, affable, funny guy. He loves baseball, loves baseball. He owned the Texas Rangers for a while. Um, uh, which I'm gonna call it. And then he eventually got into professional baseball, but uh, no, he was a great guy. And in his <laughs> first, but in his, this is a president. And in his first chapter of decision points, he talked about baseball and he had a story called why I quit drinking. And it was phenomenal. And it was just him laying out for you all the embarrassing things he had done at family bit dinner parties, like hitting hitting on like 70-year-old women and telling sex jokes and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this oh, is great. that's good. Yeah, because he was like very accessible. He was very much a guy. But the reason yeah. we should all love him, never forget, um, is he threw out the greatest first pitch in the history of baseball, post 9-11, Yankees, Diamondbacks. I was in the stadium. My brother Joey was on the field as a cop. Mm. On the field, yeah. amazing. While he yeah. landed... Uh, Marine One, the helicopter, in what is now the new Yankee Stadium. He landed in uh, McCombs Dam Park, yeah. which is now where they built the stadium, and then he came over to the stadium, threw out the first pitch at a yeah. time when they were horrified to even have him out there because, you know, 20 days removed from 9-11, everybody was just scared to even be in the stadium. They thought it might blow up. But the reason yep. I want to tell the story, and this is the reason you should love him, is Ari Fleischer, former White House press secretary and one of the coolest guys you'll ever meet, told me that when Bush threw out the first pitch, there were six umpires on the field that weren't umpires. They were Secret Service men dressed as umpires. <laughs> and they got the idea from the movie The Naked Gun when Frank Drebin goes out as an umpire. And uh, <laughs> that meant so much to me when I heard that, that he had, because they said they were like, we've got to get some umpires on the field. If you're going to be out there, we don't want you to be there alone. How could we possibly pull this off? And Bush was like, well, why don't you do a Frank Drebin? Put him out there in a uniform. <laughs> I was oh, like, so it was Bush's idea. Supposedly it was Bush's idea. That's how it was oh relayed to God. me. That is how it was relayed to me. And I was like, he's just great. That's the greatest guy ever. If you don't like his politics, you don't the like the fact Iraq. that he's yeah. re- retaining that much of the naked gun. <laughs> <laughs> That's who's running this place. I didn't remember that. I, I, I always really loved that movie. I don't even remember that. Oh, who no. sang, sang the national anthem that day? Was it Enrico Palazzo? It was <laughs> at the Yankee game. <laughs> Please welcome Enrico Palazzo. <laughs> <laughs> he came out. 
<laughs> Somebody took a shot at the queen. Ah, it's the best movie ever. Dean, we talk about that movie on Kennedy so much, like when we're just walking around, because she loves it. Yeah. We love that movie. You know, there's like the three great deadpan lines in movie history when he goes, uh, uh, what would Nordberg want at a seedy red light district like that? And Ed goes, uh, sex, Frank? Well, not now, Ed. We've not got now. work to do. It's <laughs> such yeah. a great line, man. It's great. But the point is, you know, George W. Bush, he was kind of wed to that culture. He's a cool guy. It's why the Obamas yeah. like him. It's why people like them. And it's like, I think at the end of the day, what people are going to come to are going to be forced to understand uh, when it comes to coexistence and tolerating presidents you didn't vote for is there's a reality to doing that job. Uh, ba based on information the rest of us don't have and based on continuing a business that's been running successfully for 300 years, almost 300 years, 243 years. Um, and I think whoever the president is, you know, inherits a, a, a spreadsheet that basically gets executed a certain way. And, and at the end of the day, yeah, they have a lot of decisions and ideals that they've pitched to voters and you may not like the way they go about doing them, but if they leave office and there's not a Chinese tank on your front lawn, you know, or the, you know, the economy's still intact, you still feel relatively safe, porn is still free, they're still making the 20-piece McNugget, which is the only one anyone should buy, then it's yeah. like, I think all we should ever be saying to ex-presidents is thank you. Because I don't think Absolutely. it's a, I don't think it's a good job. Like I don't. I don't I think, you know, no. there's a reason that up until now every ex president became secretly great friends behind the scenes because they're the only yeah. ones who understood the pressures of the gig. Well, you know what it is? Take any insecurity you've ever had and multiply it times a billion. Yeah. And because everybody's watching you, mm -hmm. everybody in your staff is watching you, and you're constantly you realize what the responsibility is. You could make a move that could alter history in not a good way yeah <laughs> not, not not in the best way possible um and i but you know what's going to happen and I, I think this is going to stun everybody in no no one would believe this everyone would say f you to this when trump is done being president he's going to be friends with bill clinton obama and george w bush Yes. And that's the thing I wish I could show everybody right now that's going to blow their monkey minds apart because they're going to be friends. And I, I, I can tell you this based on think about this. Do you remember the remember when he was calling Kim Jong Un little rocket man and yeah. saying my buttons bigger and we're going to blow him out of the sky within a month? They were meeting. They were friends. You know, he's done this with Macron. He's done this with Trudeau because these people, yes, he is definitely a heated guy who's saying stupid things and impulsive things and things you might not agree with. But he is also adult enough, just enough, just enough that when those feelings dissipate and you're no longer in that moment, you know, you can look past it and be cool with people. And it's no different, Dean, than any relationship you've ever lived with someone. We've all gotten into a fight where you've said unspeakable things to each other, but yeah. you survive those things and go back to not only getting along, but, you know, occasionally doing the deed. Both because, sides have to be willing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They both will sides be. have to be willing to go, oh, forget it. No, and they will. And I agree. They let, will be. Let me let me, you know, and this is something everybody needs to hear. Nobody, not a Republican or a Democrat, wanted Donald Trump to be president. But the one thing you have to give everybody credit for the Clintons, Bill, Hillary, uh, Barack, Michelle, George, Laura. Um, all, all the ex-presidents who showed up to the inauguration, even Cheney, you know, they the one thing they all have to be given credit for is they knew the value and the role and obligation they had to this republic to show up and be a part of a peaceful transform transition of power, you know, and yeah. they're going to do that post-presidency because even if you're a Republican listening who hates the Clintons and the Obamas or a Democrat listening who hates the Bushes, they all deserve credit at the top of this food chain for understanding and respecting their their obligations. You know, there's a lot of smack talk that I don't doubt that they hate each other, but we're not going to see a post-Trump presidency where he's ostracized and nobody gets along because that is actually when you do have like a civil war, when the when the when it becomes that divisive and they're yeah. not going to do that. I mean, for the most part, especially if it's eight, especially if he does eight years. Oh, yeah. If he does an eight spot. Um, because he, you know, you can't, you know, you can't deny that you can't deny no, the success of that. No, if somebody does two terms, you've, you, there's an argument to be made that, that it was a su successful presidency, no matter what. Yeah, that's what everybody says. I mean, that's that's basically the definition. So I think for the people, you know, for the people that are mad at Ellen, uh, you really just shut up. 
Like nobody, like what are you contributing to the world by trying to undo a woman who's actually, to be honest with you, almost an iconic from a standpoint of social justice because she was famously run off the air in 1992 for being a lesbian, you know, but but kind of stood her ground as a great comic and continued to like further her brand until she became basically white Oprah and has probably empowered a billion women along the way. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) I will share that everyone I know who's ever worked for her says she's a monster. No. I, would, I would love to meet her and clarify that. But what does that mean, though? What does that mean? That you she's see, a monster? this is what I think because I've heard I this. I have an. I have a. I have a whole. Take me too. On that. Me oh, too. Ahead. You want to know why? And I'll share it because based on someone else I know uh, that runs a show that's been called a monster, not Kennedy. I would out her in a second. You know, she's a pain in my ass. I work with her every day. No, I'm kidding. But but not Kennedy. But what I was going to say is, uh, everybody in LA has a story that uh, about her being a monster. But you and me, I think this is what you're going to say. Anyway, is what I say is their definition of a monster is is that she probably works them incredibly hard in the name of having a great show. So it's not so much that she's a personal monster so much as she's like a tough on you football coach who wants to win the damn game because you don't get to be Ellen without doing the shit out of your job. You know, you don't get the gig unless every stand up set, every TV appearance, every radio hit is everything you've got in the tank. And I'm sure yeah. if you're working in L.A. and you're showing up to work stoned and you've got a woman who knows that who's as driven as you could possibly be because you have to be to become Ellen DeGeneres. It's probably difficult to work for that person, you know. Yes. And I've I've heard that about other Fox anchors who aren't who don't work in the building anymore. They're like, oh, that guy was a pain in the ass. I'm like, he probably was. But there's a reason he had the highest rated show on television, too. Right. It's hard work. Yeah. There's this, uh-huh. Right. There's a standard of excellence that you're holding things up to. And it's part of the reason why you got where you got. And the thing is, when your name is on a show, mm-hmm. you're always going to have people that on the on the on the on the lower ranks uh-huh. uh, that are, are not going to be as invested because they don't understand. Mm-hmm. the You know, it's like the person at the top. It's their show. It's their name. It's their reputation. Mm-hmm. The people at the bottom. So a lot of times don't even care. No, they don't have the they're same investment. They're showing up and do, punching the clock and doing their thing. And they're like, listen to this guy. Yeah. So there's a dissonance that happens there, too. Mm-hmm. But it's true, though. But I, 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 I chalk it up to a standard of excellence. I've heard about a lot of actors and directors who are difficult, but mm-hmm. I'm like difficult. I'm yeah. like, I don't think they're difficult. I think that they're just trying to push everybody yeah, you one be great. step farther. Yeah. 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 Imagine that you're the guy responsible. You need to motivate a crew of 20 or 30 or a hundred people yeah. in the name of a product that has your name on it and your name on it alone. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm sure yeah. if you could, you would, you would do those jobs yourself if you could yeah. and, and you would do them all. That's why he gets so upset. They're not yeah. doing them to your standard. Yeah, to your standard. If you could do this one particular job, you would mm-hmm. kill it. Uh-huh. You got like thirty. You got thirty eight other jobs. Other jobs. You know, Sean makes yeah. a good point. It's like Paul McCartney. You know that 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 old story that he would play drums after Ringo went home sometimes because right. he just was convinced he could play the part better. Right, and, and sometimes. you know, sometimes he probably <laughs> could. I'm not, yeah. You know, and uh, he you know laid it down and and did it that way and just wanted to do it that way. So in that regard, like I actually like I get it. The only talk show host that I can confirm is a monster is Oprah, and I'll tell you why before we go, Dean. Because Oprah campaigned for Stacey Abrams in uh, in Georgia and went door-to-door door with a camera crew knocking on doors to be like, ah, hey, I'm campaigning for Stacey Abrams. you like to be here. Do you know how what a, what a deflating dick move that was to those people who see Oprah Winfrey at their door with a camera crew and think they're getting a check for like $10 million uh, or uh, a brand-new car? Or right. guess what? We paid off all your debt. And instead, the door opens and like, hey, vote for Stacey Abrams. <laughs> people are just shooting themselves in the head because they've gotten so worked up. They see Oprah coming up the drive. They're like, quick, do your hair, you know? Yeah, Get my yeah, cardigan. Yeah. I want to look good. Oprah's coming. And then she's like, yeah, vote for Stacey Abrams. They're like, what? Oh, my yeah, God. Right. No. Devastating. It's like the scene in Three Amigos when they find out Nettie Niederlander isn't really a good shot. Yeah. <laughs> now the German guy's upset. Oprah's lucky someone didn't challenge her to a draw in the middle of the well, street. I'm thinking about Think about all the people because you know she she didn't end up winning. Yeah, she didn't end she up lost. winning. Yeah. So so she lost. So think about how many houses she went to with people who were not voting for Stacey Abrams at all. Yeah, so now you're really pissed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no car, no vote, no nothing. Yeah, you know what? I've got it. Cancel culture. The way we solve this Ellen Bush thing is we all get mad at Oprah. There we go. <laughs> now there's something I can all get behind. Screw you, Oprah. 
Uh, we got to take a quick break, Dean Imperial. When we come back, we'll do a couple of headlines, talk about things going on in the news, and I'm going to share personal experience. I had two phenomenal celebrity encounters last night, and they went well. And, oh, God, I'm so thankful for both of these because they were high-stakes meetings for me, not in, not in what could become of them, but in how much respect I had had for these two people. So anytime you meet somebody that, that you know you thought was awesome, and they are, always. oh, good always. God, what a relief. you know? Because they always say never meet your idols. Right. But, yeah. folks, you can all meet me. It'll be great. I'll be fine. I'm the same guy on and off. We'll be right back. Introducing Ask Trump, the advice seminar from a man who's an expert on everything. Nobody knows the politicians better than I do. I know more about ISIS than the generals. Nobody knows more about campaign finance. Nobody knows much more about technology. Nobody knows more about environmental impact statements. I understand the tax laws better than almost anyone. He'll take your questions on everything from baseball deals. Nobody knows more about trade than me. To children's gifts. Nobody has better toys than I do. Ask Trump can improve your vocabulary. I know words. I have the best words. Audiences enjoy it so much it feels like a religious experience. Nobody loves the Bible more than I do. Ask Trump is so successful the critics are going nuclear. There's nobody that understands the horror of nuclear better than me. Ask Trump, the fastest growing advice seminar in the country. Because nobody's ever had crowds like Trump has had. Oh, girl. The name of the program is called Everybody Calm Down. We, of course, are sponsored by the fine folks, the fine folks at the Michter's Distillery down in Louisville, Kentucky. Get down there. Patronize their products. Be a Michter's guy is what we say on this show. You'd be Republican, yeah. you'd be Democrat. A Michter's guy can be anything. A Michter's guy yes. can be independent, can be libertarian. But the one thing... The one familiar refrain amongst all the Michters guys, no matter which way they lean, is they treat people right. They're not drama queens. Yeah. They're not looking to upset anybody's app, apple cart. They're just trying to enjoy the opportunity they have to keep lapping the sun. You know, right. we're all here in the greatest country in the world at the greatest time to be here. And a Michters guy knows that and just keeps drinking Michters, Dean Imperial. And That's I, right. I don't know if I am even within my rights to share this online, mm-hmm. but we got... A nice shipment of bourbon and whiskey yesterday. Yeah, I saw that. It was, it was stunning. A stunning amount of alcohol. They needed a hand truck. My my neighbor came out. He's like, "Is uh, everything okay with you and Jenny?" (laughs) Yeah, we're fine, man. It's totally fine. But uh, shout out to them. They they had sent us our our rations, if you will, provisions to give to our guests who come on the show. So Dean, you've got a you know got some booze in your future, homeboy. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't wait. What I've been trying to do is, I'm trying to match the guest up with the product because I'm intimately familiar with everything they make, and I have two favorites. One is an unblended American whiskey. I think it's the greatest thing I've ever drank anywhere, and it's not a high end Michter's. I mean, Michter's you could buy a five thousand dollar bottle of Michter's Celebration. Like it gets up there, but yeah. you know the entry level stuff that you're, you know, the U.S. ones that are in stores are you mm-hmm. know forty five fifty bucks like a normal bourbon. Their unblended yeah. American whiskey is, is the best thing I've ever drank, and they make a toasted barrel sour mash that pound for pound is the only thing I'm drinking right now. Oh. And uh, so if, if you see somebody with a bottle of that, Dean, and you don't have one, be very insulted. Well, I've got, I was drinking yesterday the uh, Kentucky Straight Rye. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. The 10-year? Is that the 10-year? Ten ten it's the 10-year. Yeah, it's, it's the best uh, stuff in the world. It's damn good. No, no, it's the best stuff in the world. I, I just had a little bit, and I was saying hello to everybody on the street. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> He's out. Hi! Yeah. Well, hey, by the way, how about this for a transition? I got to say hello to two great people yesterday, man. Oh, my God. Uh, first and foremost, Liz Fair. Who in the 90s to me, Dean, I had read like a spin magazine article about her when I was like a 14 year old boy. Yeah. And uh, she's on Kennedy tomorrow night, but she's in town. So she stopped by yesterday because she wanted to say hello to Kennedy because they're pals. So we hung out in the green room with her and her staff and all that jazz. Um, And I but I, I in the 90s, I knew her as like she was like the first like truly empowered woman I had ever like knew of. In that yeah. she was openly expressing her sexuality. She was talking about one night stands and, you know, getting used and, and using guys. And I was like, wow, this chick is so badass because it was a foreign concept to me. And yeah. because of that, 
she became one of my go-tos in my Columbia House 10 CD for a penny transactions. Do you remember those, Dean? Oh, my God. <laughs> was there, I, I don't even want to talk about it on the air. <laughs> was, there any, was there anything more titillating than a box of 10 CDs I in had, the mail? <laughs> I had so many aliases. I was like Buffalo Bill in the Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> <laughs> I had to keep ordering them, right? I was like D. Imp. <laughs> John Dean. I was like every possible. I had every alias you could possibly have. I mean, I got my entire collection off of those. Oh, there was nothing more exciting. And it's something uh, today's, uh, the kids today, they're never going to appreciate this in the age of digital dopamine. Because yeah. if you want music now, you have it instantly. You could buy a song at 87 miles an hour on the Ohio Turnpike and listen to it immediately. Yep. We used to fill out a postcard with our name or, in Dean's case, someone else's name on it. With our address, we would select the catalog CDs we wanted going through that big, giant catalog, which was the original Victoria's Secret catalog, to be honest, because a lot of us were getting these CDs as minors before we were even into chicks, I mean, or, or even around the same time. Yep. But, but you would mail in a postcard that would take a week to get there. Mm. And then they would mail you back CDs that might take you six weeks to get there. But oh, imagine man. how much you appreciated them when they showed up oh, in your mailbox. Really? You saw that rectangle when, when box. When the tapes came, oh, oh my God. Oh, the day the T tapes came. Tore them ah. apart. I have never yes. pulled a pair of panties off at the rate yeah. of intensity that I have ripped open a Columbia House box of CDs. Twelve tapes. And I, or CDs. I mean, I started with tapes, and then I went on CDs. Yeah, I, I, was, I, had t I had some tapes because my dad was a Columbia House tape guy, and yeah. then I got into CDs. But Liz Fair, just to, to be here, was I bought two of her albums, Whip Smart and Exile and Guyville. They came in, the, in one of those shipments. They came in a shipment for me, Dean, that had uh, Nirvana uh, Incesticide, which was like B-Sides. Never mind, yeah. which I owned on cassette, you know, pretty, right. you know, pretty bad. And yep. then I had yeah. like, but it was like, and I was also into big box things. Like a, it was like a Creedence Clearwater revival, a living oh. color, like a salt and pepper album. But you it was used up two slots on the box sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you did that, if you got a double, if you got like Pink Floyd yeah, the Wall, yeah. that was two CDs. True. That was oh, two CDs. But, so you'd use up two boxes. But, yeah, that but, was a big deal. But let me explain to the spoiled culture of today yes. just how depraved this would get. I dated a girl from Bethpage High School, one town over, um, that I was now dating women and sending Columbia House CD packages to their houses. I was like, hey, Jessica, can I use your address? I'm going to get Columbia House CDs. Yep. We're going to be together forever, baby. I mean, what's the big deal? We can play them when I come over. It doesn't matter. Anyway, yeah. I dated a girl in my senior year of high school that uh, I broke up with, uh, or she broke up with me. I don't even remember how it went down. I, I do believe she broke up with me just based on my physique alone. I'm assuming there's no way I was the deciding vote in that relationship. But uh -huh. I had a kid, Pat Shelley, legend in Levittown, great guy, played on the football team with me, started dating her and being her friend because we made a deal that he would date her. I tipped him off. I'm like, yo, she's got a shipment of Columbia houses coming in. And I'm like, if you'll date her or hang out with her for the next six weeks, I'll give you any two CDs you want. I just want the other eight. And we shook on it, and God love Pat Shelley. He did it, Dean Imperial. He oh, hung out with a girl. Him. He hung out with a girl for six weeks so I could get my hands on some Columbia House because that's how oh, much music man. meant to us as, like, little kids. And I know that sounds psychotic, yeah. but we were doing that because how that's, that's how we got music. It was a big effing deal. So, yeah. so knowing that... I've perpetrated federal fraud in my in the name of getting my hands on Liz Fair CDs. You would imagine that meeting her yesterday was kind of a big deal, you know. And um, she was like, you know, you can't. You know, I say like you can't fake cool. If people are cool, they're cool. If they are fake cool, you eventually figure it out within five minutes of thinking they're cool. She yeah. was just the coolest thing, dude. She was just, you know, nice to see everybody, but like easy to talk to. Like I was trying to explain myself to her. She was like, what do you do, Jimmy? And I was like, you know, I'm like, I'm kind of really, really just like I write the show. I'm on the show, but I'm kind of like the family dog. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see everybody. I run around in a circle. They feel great no matter how their day went. And I'm like, and if I hold up a, you know, if you hold up a cookie, I'll give you paw. You know, and we had like a little mm -hmm. giggle. And then like 20 minutes later, she came by with a cookie. I'm like, come on, that's just a cool girl. Nice. You know, that's, she, that's she threw, she threw you a callback. Yeah. She was funny. 
She yeah. loved Kennedy, and it was great. So a shout-out to Liz Fair. Go uh, go buy all of her albums, full freight. Don't do any of that Columbia House stuff. You can't do that Columbia House stuff. Well, the other thing with the Columbia House, it was uh-huh. never, like, top-tier music. Like, you can, don't get me wrong, get some good artists, you get some good albums. Yeah. You couldn't get them all. You like, didn't get you know, a new the, release, yeah. Yeah, there was always, like, yeah. there was a, a little bit of a catch to it, obviously, if you're getting that many for a, a penny. Yeah. Well, the, well, the catch was the one penny CD was actually fifty nine eighty two when you actually <laughs> finally right. paid for it. You right. joined the club. And, and, sure. and, and you know that LimeWire Lime took over after the 12 CD for a penny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when it went digital. That's when it went digital and LimeWire was the new 12 CD for a penny where right. you were just getting stuff for free and a yeah. shared thing. And but, then that went down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that went down. Yeah, that, that went down and so did our computers. Do you remember the yeah. viruses? <laughs> like my computer had actual lesions on the screen L- by the time I, I was done with LimeWire. LimeWire used to prevent me from shutting down my computer. I remember that. It used to come up and say, no, no, you can't shut it down yet. I'm like, who the hell are you? LimeWire is like taking over my life. You know, they, uh, that's really funny because they used to, you know, Trojan horse so many files onto people's computers. Yeah. That they're the reason most data breaches take place and most people have gotten hacked because back then when we weren't conscious about it, we were giving yeah. away everything. I had my identity stolen in tw- uh, 2009, but it worked out because my credit score wound up going up like 38 points. <laughs> these, these Armenian dudes do great work, man. He's like, no, 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 we, we must spread out. Put that over here. Oh, little, he, he did a nice balance transfer so he could buy a jet ski, but it worked out for me and I was happy. Yeah. But uh, yes, I remember LimeWire doing that and Jenny was the one who told me, she's like, yo, you can't be putting all the shit on the computer because you're going to crash it. But it was so intense to have as much music as you wanted whenever you wanted. Um, mm-hmm. and, and no one could resist it. It was like the, the in terms of a Trojan horse, that was the applicable term because yeah. you no, know, everyone let it right into the castle. We we're like, oh my God, free music, any music, any artist I can think of is here. And it was crazy. And that's why I guess, you know, I, we can draw such a distinction between waiting for music, you know, 20 years ago, as opposed to instantly getting it now. They've also yeah. nuked the record store, which sucks because going to the record store was the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. Oh, cause you'd go, cause you'd go without a plan right. when you went without a plan and came home with stuff. It was the greatest feeling in the world. Man. Oh yeah. And that's where the phone is nuking us because there's no spontaneity in our lives anymore. Also you know, the death of the bookstore too. Yeah. Because you can't go to the bookstore and pretend to be intellectual in front of certain women. You know, do you ever and do buy, that move, Dean? And buy books you're never going to read. Ever, I mean, ever. Was my one pleasure in life was that I could. I was buying. I have so many books I've never read. No, no. Why would you ever? I mean, he's no. He just. We take them hostages. That that's our thing. We just buy a book, <laughs> yeah. take it hostage, show it to people. But yeah, there's no spontaneity now because we live in an no. on-demand world. Which brings me to my next point: like radio, radio, uh, terrestrial radio is the last place on earth where you still discover some spontaneity. Mm-hmm. Like where you be, you know, that the power of radio is you're driving in a car, you hear a song you love that you haven't thought about in 17 years. And you're like, oh my God, I love this song. And it really takes you somewhere and it just happens and it's magic. And you don't really get that anymore because now it's all digital music and we're making our own playlist. Um, but it brings me to the other thing I wanted to do before we do headlines. I ran into Elvis Duran last night on Kennedy. He is a Z- Z100 legend. It's been there since 1996. Oh, yeah, I remember him, sure. Yeah, he was a dude that I, I grew up listening to the morning zoo probably with you and it was like jack the whack and mr yeah, leonard I remember. do you remember that and they were telling like <laughs> oh, naughty sure. street jokes yeah. on the air yep and uh like the greatest thing in the world elvis duran happened as i was i was just out of high school and college so i listened to him quite a bit but i always had a huge huge respect for how much he'd accomplished because i consider him the best quarterback in morning radio in that he yeah. has like five you know five or six steady role players on the show and he's just constantly dishing them the rock sitting back and commenting. And then he steps in to dish the rock again. He's phenomenal. But he was so effing funny in the green room last night talking about his drag queen names and things he you know things he used to do when he was a fat guy because he yeah. lost 110 pounds dude and oh, uh, he's, oh he's one of those guys yeah oh, so God, I was getting into it. Do it well he had like the bariatric surgery where they do the lap band or whatever oh. but oh. I started to ex- <laughs> I, I know I know of course because it's almost like it almost doesn't count to me I don't want to take it away from him because he uh, looks good I and he feels good I never want to hear someone had their, their, their stomach cut, cut in half yeah cut in half and but anyway yeah. I don't yeah, want to think it's it. tough it work that's okay but that's a, that's always like uh, uh well, you know, well a listen, rough one I, I was trying to decide as he was telling me this last night dean what's better being the guy who gets his tummy cut off because he's such a bad boy he can't be trusted with a fork and knife anymore <laughs> that he gets put on the timeout step and they no, no mommy's got to cut half your tummy off now i don't know i don't know what's yeah. worse that God. or being idiots like us because i was telling him i was like well i've never done that anything that extreme but me and my buddy dean like to name our diets 
And uh, I started telling (laughs) the story in the green room, Dean, and people were viscerally disturbed by what we do. So (laughs) really upset. So what we do, Sean, is Dean and I will make a strategy for like the day. We go on a one day diet. Like I'll give you a good example. We'll do like a, a nothing too crazy. Would be a good name of a diet. I'm like, what are you? Right. I'm doing a nothing too crazy right now. It's like a soup and a sandwich. Yeah, yeah, like something like that. Well, nothing too crazy would be like t- three pieces of pizza for the day. Nothing too crazy. It's pizza. Yeah. It's not healthy. Right. But you had three, and it's all you had the whole day. It's nothing too crazy. Got you it. know. Yeah. And we'll do like uh, a big meat is a, is a familiar refrain. Like, yeah, I'm doing a big meat right now, <laughs> which is not quite yeah. an Atkins. It just means 98 percent of what's on your plate is going to be meat. Right. Meat right. of various sizes and shapes. Right. And and that's what we do. And there's a reason we look the way we look. There's no consistency <laughs> to any of this. No. Like I, I, I conveniently, I do something all the time called a fatkins, where I'll light the barbecue. I'll have like 12 sausages, three steaks, like every type of meat you could barbecue or smoke, mm. but no yeah. bread because I'm not an animal. Right. But I've yeah. eaten 71 sausages. <laughs> <laughs> like yes. Joey Chestnut's on the phone like, dude, you got to calm down. You're going to get yourself yeah, killed, yeah, Jimmy yeah, Fallon. Yeah. Um, so I was talking to him about diet naming, and he was like, yeah, yeah, just get the surgery. You guys will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's right. Uh, he's right. We have a uh, uh, we have a two second break, and we got to do some quick headlines to get you out of here, Dean Imperial. Right, it's cool. a big day. We got a whole world to save. We will be right back. On everybody, Great. calm down. Episode, I believe, since the national launch number eight. It's technically episode number eleven because right, we conducted right. a beta launch that started with Dean Imperial, who's on on with us right now in the Mictor's voice line. Yo yo, yo yo. Uh, name of the program. Everybody, calm down. Which I mention every time we come back from break, even though it's a podcast, because I'm assuming no one's listening to the whole thing. Some people are jumping in late. You know, yeah, so I just throw it out there. It's branding, Dean. It's branding. I know. I understand. This time a week from now, I will also be hosting the New York Post's NFL podcast with a couple of writers and a couple of players on the New York Giants. How about well, that, That's Dean? cool. That's it, very exciting. Me and when Jenny, does that start? Uh, next Thursday. Ooh. And uh, I, I will say this, man. Like, me and Jenny are so excited to know that I might make a dollar off of watching football as opposed to all of the other dollars that I did not make while watching football. Huh? <laughs> like, right. it'll be so nice That's to watch so a funny. football game and not have to shave my legs and powder my Adam's apple afterwards and head out to the meatpacking <laughs> district to try to make back the rent. Right. I'm really excited about that. I don't know that I'm going to bring it up on the show. I certainly didn't bring it up during the application. <laughs> they brought me They brought me into audition. We did, one, we did one audition, and I just talked like an ESPN nerd for 20 minutes and told them jokes off camera because... Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there was there was a time when big game James Fala really liked, you know, like the ponies. Mm-hmm. I oh, liked yeah. gambling. And the, <sighs> and the way I got out of it, Sean Barry, this is crazy. I never like hit rock bottom where I screwed up my life, got myself hurt. Um, I actually just bought a couch at a Levitz with Jenny when she moved here. Because what happened, Dean, is, you know, the psychology of a gambler is when I was a young, like, 21-year-old kid, I was like, oh, if I, you know, I spend this $1,000 on a couch, it's just a couch. But if I give it to this blackjack dealer, it could be $28,000. So yeah. why wouldn't I give it to the blackjack dealer? Because I could buy 28 couches if I want them. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. you, now you got no couch. You know, you have no yeah. money. But one day, in, like, the absolute height of my gambling insanity, Jenny moved to New York, and we had to go out and furnish a place. And we bought a couch and it dawned on me that I could have things like physical things to show for the money I was working hard to make. And I instantaneously just outgrew gambling. Is that crazy? No, I understand that very much because I had my own experience on the boardwalk with gambling when I was 12. Oh, geez. And and I went, yeah, I took a, I took a, no, no, it was was devastating. I took a hundred dollars down to Wildwood for a week, right? And Mm -hmm. spent it all in one day. And I came home and I said to uh, Bill Imperial, uh, Imperial the magician, my father, I said, hey, I said, look, I said, I lost all hundred dollars, but I got five uh, cassettes. I got five audio cassettes. He said, Dean, you could have bought. 12 for the same amount of money. <laughs> and that like just stunned me. And I went, oh, right, of course. And I never had a desire to gamble ever again. Because the, the bottom line was it's just I just don't I just don't like the odds. I don't I just don't like no, the no, odds. No, no, it's not the there. It's just don't work. It's not there to make you money. They're not in business to make you money. That's obvious, and they have a lot of advantages. And like at this point, uh, seriously, the only time I ever gamble is when I sleep with Jenny. I mean, other than that, I'm kidding. Come on. You are so dumb. You are really dumb. For real.
Couple quick headlines. Uh, Elizabeth Warren under fire tonight, Dean Imperial, because basically she's been telling a tale. She's playing the oppression card on the campaign trail. And yeah, she's saying yeah. she was fired in 1971 because she was visibly pregnant. They didn't want her on the gig. Well, two things happened to her since she's told the story. And to be honest with you, I'm shocked because it's not like her to lie to the American people. I mean, we've known her to be very forthright <laughs> right. about her heritage and everything else. Uh, but basically, someone unearthed a video in 2007 of her telling an entirely different version of the same story where she said she actually didn't get the job because she didn't have an emergency certificate to work with special needs children. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with her pregnancy. Someone took it a step further last night. We talked about this on Kennedy and found county records from the school district where she works that show not only was she not fired when she was pregnant, but she was given a contract extension and a raise and then ultimately wound up resigning later that year after she had the kid just because she didn't need the money and or she just wanted to hang with the kid. So, oh my God, it's a monster lie. And in another era, yeah. it would probably be disqualifying. But the one gift that Trump has given everyone who's ever going to run against them is you really can't hold Elizabeth Warren's feet to the fire that's making the smoke signals if, you know, you're not going to do the same thing to Trump. Right. Yeah. Because Trump is just throwing it at them. I mean, <laughs> no, he, I know. His I know. one superpower yeah. is that every time he gets in a pickle, he just creates a new pickle right. and we all yeah. move on. I mean, that is mm-hmm. the superpower for him. It's is his his media omnipotence. If the press yes. wanted to stop Trump, they wouldn't cover Trump. Number one, because that's that's what makes him look like a victim, look like almost a vigilante who's battling back against these people, hell bent on overturning the democracy. And yeah. the, and the other one is the press never should have cheated their attacks on him, meaning he said he he has said so many disqualifying things that they didn't need to amplify the meaning or give them like, oh, this is a dog whistle to the Klan. They, they didn't have to say that because a lot of people didn't feel that way. And it allowed him to discredit the press. You dig? Yeah. But the thing is, with Trump, like it still works within his brand of who he is. Yes. He, this works against. See, the problem with Warren is that her righteous. This runs right up against her righteousness. The same thing with the Native American thing. Yeah, it's like you can't really go and be that righteous and have these two marks on your visible marks on your record that are kind of indefensible. Yep. I mean, you can say what you want, but I mean, there's some indisputable. It's indisputable, right? Yeah, that's so a problem. if you want to like huff and puff and say, "Wow, ah, it doesn't matter," this, that, and the other thing, but if you want to stay righteous, it's, I don't know. It's, it's going to be a. It's going to be a real. Uh, um, liability oh man it is and uh it greases the wheels for what i'm about to say next dean imperial (laughs) hillary clinton dropping hints on twitter last night that she could get back into the race she told trump don't tempt me do your job and then she said last night in an interview uh why shouldn't i run and beat him again because she's talking about the popular vote and the fact that she right. did beat him in the popular oh, vote. She Be- wants to get in a back and forth with him because she, that's going yeah. to create the desire. Yes, yeah, she's trying to create a lane. And now this is what yeah. you got. You got Bernie had a heart attack, says he's going to scale it back. Uh, Warren's credibility is she's destroying it on her own with no help from anybody else. Biden, if this Trump impeachment trial goes down, Biden and his son have to testify about their gig in Ukraine. All of a sudden, the idea of a chick who won the popular vote might seem a little more palatable. Like, I think what she's doing is she knows, obviously, if she wants to run, she has too much baggage to sustain a year and a half of scrutiny. But if she wanted to come in like a white knight late in the race, she might have the momentum in the lane to do it. And as a guy who's watching this as sports and not politics, just consuming it for the sheer spectacle of it all, yo, I would love for her to run. Like an old school Dean, WWE, where they come running out of the locker room and dive into a match they weren't even a part of. And now they yeah. beat up the guy. Now now they're hitting Rowdy Roddy Piper in the ring. Do you remember when that happened to Mr. Oh, T? Yeah. He was fighting yeah. at like WrestleMania 2 at the Garden. And, oh, and, and I remember that. Piper yeah. came in with his guy out of nowhere, and they started beating him up and yeah, whipping when, him with a belt. Was, yeah. When I was a kid, that's when I, I'd, I'd be watching the television standing up. Yeah, <laughs> screaming at it, doing kicks and punches. And, oh, my God. And yeah. uh, I am praying. I look up towards the locker room every day in the political arena, and I am waiting for Hillary to come sprinting out of that locker room because if for the yeah. sheer spectacle, it would be amazing. It a, would a be rematch. Amazing, and you want to great would a rematch? It would be Ali Frazier too, and on some small scale, I I would almost have to root for her 
because if yeah. she won, Trump yeah. wouldn't go away. <laughs> then he yeah. would, and then he would run again in four years, saying it was it would be. I mean, this there'd be no country. There'd be the end. We actually would probably have to fight it out in the streets at that point. Yeah. I don't think our everybody calm down measures are going to be enough to do it. But goddamn it, we'll yeah. try. I, I realize what we are as everybody calm down. I, I now know this after two weeks of doing this show is we're just the orchestra on the Titanic. We're just playing some soothing sounds as everybody's stealing babies to get a lifeboat and shoving people overboard and running for the end. And we're just over here playing nearer my God to thee, having a nice time. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that we're going to save this thing, but damn it, we're trying. We deserve credit for that. We do deserve all the credit in the world uh, for doing yeah. this. I agree with that. Thank you. Uh, Jimmy Carter, one more news story, says Trump needs to tweet less. 95-year-old Jimmy Carter. Now, you know what I love about this? I, I, this story is like 20 minutes old. But I promise you, like, by the time this episode is posted, Trump will have tweeted at Jimmy Carter, like, failing one-term loser, Jimmy yeah. Carter. <laughs> Peanut farming, know-nothing, yeah. Jimmy Carter. Uh, yeah. That's funny. He should, he'll be like, you know, Jim, Trump should tweet less. He should be like, yeah, Jimmy Carter should lose to Iran over the hostages less. Like, it's coming. But I'm thinking to myself, that's all he's got? Everybody said that. I know, Jimmy Carter. Say I mean, something. Jimmy Carter's only contribution was was that he should he should tweet less. I guess you're not supposed to criticize a president, even though he said harsher things about Trump along the way. Yeah, he has said that. He said he called Trump an illegitimate president at one point. Yeah. Uh, so what's he tweet less? Well, I mean, everybody's telling him that. Yeah, I mean that's a thing. Uh, Jason Chaffetz, uh, of all people, had a funny line. Chaffetz is a funny guy in a green room, and mm -hmm. if you remember Carter about two weeks ago. Uh, had given a speech where he said, "I think we do need an age limit for the presidency." You know, with all of these older candidates, because he said he goes, I myself couldn't handle the stresses of the job when I was an 80 year old man. I can tell you that definitively that I couldn't have done the job at the age of 80. And Chaffetz tweeted back, you couldn't do it at 55. Oh, <laughs> That's oh not God, bad. Oh, Chaffetz. The guy is now the oldest living ex-president in history. How about that? But yeah. you know what? He's and, not. And he's still standing. And he's not going to hold that forever because you know Trump is going to live to be like 105. Just to yeah. ruin these people. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I, I, I do think. I do think Trump is going to live live long because he stays engaged mentally, I think. In he terms does. Of like, he likes to see the fight. He's still going to be tweeting. Yes. So no matter what happens. Listen, say what you want about snorting Adderall. It has Same its health Hillary. benefits. Yeah. But Hillary's, Hillary's going to stay. I mean, like, I feel like Hillary's going to live a long time because she's still determined she's determined yeah like oh. she'll have just as much i think she'll have more if she runs she'll have more energy than she did last time oh i would love listen again i can't say this enough i want her in the race and i don't want her in the race to hate her like a lot of people will i just why not why not have the biggest blowout spectacle we can have because absent her i gotta be great I, I know and absent her getting in I don't think this is going to be as exciting as people think it is because the average person I talk to, because I have a lot of family around the country and stuff, the average person I've talked to isn't as consumed with politics as we think they are on the East Coast or the West Coast. Oh, no. Because it's exhausting. Like, the people in New York and California haven't stopped fighting over 2016 yet. We haven't. 2016 is not over for people who work in politics on any level. We're relitigating it every single day. The average person is like, you guys are still doing that? And they've kind of walked oh. away. Just look at the size of the collective audiences of MSNBC, CNN, and Fox. You know, he's watching. Look at that. What is that? Tops, that's what, 12, 15 million people? Yeah. Tops. Yeah. Those are the people that are constantly engaged in politics. Yeah. And there's and everybody else is just kind of taking it kind of passively, looking at the networks, reading the paper. Yep. They're not consumed with it the way those people are that watch that all the time, with those networks all the time. Average person isn't. He's right. Dean Imperial is a, is a sharp guy. Say that. He knows what he's talking about. And um, the way I see it um, is if she gets in, we get this other thing. It turns it back into a sporting event. Yeah. And now we're having a good time. Okay. I agree. He'll, I, I, I'm willing to donate. Antoine Seawright, our friend who worked for her. <laughs> Let's. Oh, I, he's we, great. The problem is he's gonna he's gonna spend it on booze. That's the problem. We can't. <laughs> you can't give it is to he, Antoine. Is he a booze guy. Is he, he, a, is he right a booze guy? He's not like a heavy duty drinker, but he's a classy yeah, yeah. guy. He's a guy I hang no, out he with. Is. No, no, he's he's, a, awesome. he's actually a guy. I go out with him. I went out with him in L.A. Yeah. And uh, he has just two of the finest drinks you've ever seen. Because he's an operative. He's a you know he's a political strategist. So he doesn't want to yeah. do anything that'll compromise his instincts and his judgments. Sure. So he's like one of the best behaved guys you'll ever hang out with, but he'll talk to you like the worst behaved guy because that's his yeah. gig. He gets it out well, of you. He gets yeah. it. He has two really fine drinks and you're like, oh, we're going for it tonight. So you have seven. 
you tell him everything you know, and then he calls up his candidate, and he's like, oh, by the way, you know what that Republican <laughs> guy did? <laughs> like, damn you, Antoine Seawright! You know, he gets you. Uh, Son of a, you know. Uh, a couple of showbiz things. Vince Gilligan breaking bad guy, Dean. Yeah. Confirmed that Walter White died in the series finale. Finale. He was talking about it because they have this El Camino thing coming up on yes. Netflix. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. the ballad of Jesse Pinkman. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, sure. he said, no, he's dead. There's not going to be like a sequel or a spinoff or whatever. And I don't want one. I mean, did you want one? I, I don't want a Soprano sequel either. I know they're making a prequel, but I didn't want that. I just wanted to go no, out for what I, it was. I want to see something. I want I want to see something new and exciting. Or if you're going to do, you could do a spinoff that's going to work, but give me some new characters. And give yeah. me a new, let's let, let's, because, because that, that's like Frasier. You know, yeah. Frasier works because we had a whole bevy of new characters along with the one guy that we all knew already. Uh-huh. Yeah, create yeah. a whole nother reality another reality with world. somebody who's familiar. Yeah. And I think that's the best formula sometimes. So like, yeah, but no, 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 no don't bring back the same people. No, it's, it's going to be back on it. It's stupid. <laughs> I mean, they got away with one with Better Call Saul and people liked it. Most people really oh, loved it for crazy. a well, they season. they took one Amazing. character. Yeah, right. and put them in a new world. one character and they brought back one other guy who was great, uh-huh. but everybody else was new. Yeah, that's, that's They're the basically key. doing that the same thing with El Camino. It's oh, just Jesse Pinkman. It's the Jesse Pinkman show. Pretty much. All right. I don't know. Jesse Pinkman show. I get with it. They should actually just call at that I, I think it sounds good like he's now doing a podcast about meth in his house nobody nobody does that anymore does anybody do that anymore the so-and-so show uh radio guys do um but on tv yeah, but no tv no. no nobody says like it's the so-and-so show that would, like i mean i don't know that should be can, a new thing can you I'm get work on can you get with my idea where we write a breaking bad spinoff where yeah. it's jesse pinkman post walter white he's now hosting a podcast about meth and he's wildly popular. <laughs> and he's like number one in the Apple store. It's kind of controversial because it's meth, you know, but it's right. working out. He's basically because like, go ahead. I think there are podcasts on meth. Yeah, well, there's, I don't know. I mean, if they, if they are, they're all there's in. There's a podcast on everything. Yeah, there is. They're really, I mean, as, we, as we've proven here, I mean, you can, you know, but uh, yeah, if they, if they do it, I get it. The Jesse Pinkman Show, it's a podcast. All of his listenership is in Florida. He's got like 3 million downloads yeah. a day in Florida. It would be great. I could get with it. One more showbiz thing. We got to roll out, man. But uh, Felicity Huffman, I have advice here. Felicity, Felicity Huffman, you know, when the college bribery scandal, she got yes, an 11-day jail sentence. Yes. So her co-stars are saying this is the result of her white privilege. The uh-huh. light sentence is the result of her white privilege. Straight sure. up, if I was her, you know what she should do? She should outwoke them and be like, first of all, I don't see color, and you people are animals. That's what she should do. <laughs> oh, wow. Shouldn't oh she? God. What else do you say to that? What else do you say to that? I mean, you know, she's an idiot. Isn't it more of a wealth privilege? Wealth, it is. It's more wealth privilege yeah. than anything because, like, what it was OJ Simpson got off because right. he had a lot of money and he had a lot of angry yeah. jurors about the Rodney King thing, mm-hmm. and uh, he got away with it. They, they, those whitey tried to frame OJ, but OJ found a way to get off despite all of the efforts by Whitey to frame him for a crime he clearly did not commit. The guy's out there to this day looking for Mm -hmm. the killer. He has checked every Hooters, every golf course. (laughs) You know, he's not, you know, he's OJ. But uh, I don't know. Uh, White privilege, Dean, do you get behind white privilege? As a guy guy who had to get up with me at 3 in the morning to write screenplays every day for two years. We used to meet up at 3 a.m., write for two hours, drive a cab for 12, and then meet up again to talk about the morning work before we went out and did stand-up comedy. I don't know what my privilege was in that moment. Now, I'm well, sure. Well, God, Here's what I think, though. I think it all depends on the context and where you are. Okay. You know, I mean, it's all contextual. You know, I mean, there are obviously certain there are certain places where if you're white, uh, it's going to give you an edge. Yeah. And, I, and, 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 and I think the privilege part of it is that. It's well, like well, there stop. are certain, there's plenty of scenarios. Go ahead. Stop plenty talking. Of scenarios stop, being white. Yeah, stop, stop talking about Jenny's family. Move on to the bigger <laughs> issue. The bigger context. I'm right. Kidding. But I get I get where it comes from. I don't particularly like the phrase white privilege. I know uh-huh. lo- people love to throw it around and, uh-huh. and, and, and shame people with it. I'm not really into that because I think that there are a lot of people who are pretty humble. Mm-hmm. But I do understand because, like, look, if I was on the other side of it, you mm-hmm. know, I would see things – even though half of my family, they were not considered white. Yeah. I mean my family – half my family's Cuban. When they came, they were not considered white where they mm-hmm. lived, you know. So yeah. I understand – the other I understand the perspective of it, you know, yeah. where it's like it's more like you have an edge because you're white. You yeah. have a little extra assistance because okay. you're white. I can buy in. Uh, the, I get it. The thing I push that I want everybody to remember on this show is you have a unique American privilege. 
You live in that's, the great. I think that's the best way to say it. Actually, and, you're right, and that's what everyone is losing sight of. Is it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. You're you, right. You have an American privilege. You know, we're in a trade war with China right now, where they're literally putting Muslims in internment camps. I know countries in the Middle East where they're lighting gay people on fire, where women aren't yep. allowed to read yep. or drive. And again, I try to remind people of this every day. We're not throwing a perfect game, but we are throwing the best no. game. We're throwing the I, best game in town. And it's yes. so easy to forget. It's why we do a show called Everybody Calm so Down. True. It's like, yo, chill the F out. You have it so good. Do you know how, think about this. When you want to talk about privilege, seriously think about this. We're sitting around today on every media platform arguing over whether or not a daytime talk show host should be watching a football game with an ex-president. <laughs> like, what? Like, that's the thing. That's that's what we're upset about today. That's how bad it is here. The emojis aren't inclusive enough. You know, the fake smiley emojis. They're not representative of enough cultures. Our emojis uh, right. and a lesbian daytime talk show icon uh, is watching football with a president who held the country together during the worst attack in our history. And yeah. we're mad about it. And that's yes. why I say to you, everybody calm down. Watch the yeah. Kennedy program Monday through Thursday at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Write us a review on iTunes if you like the show. We're supposed to be soliciting those reviews, and I'm doing a horrible job of that. So do it if you can. Yeah, we got to get some reviews, man. Write us a review, Mom. Come on. Come on. Let's go. What's going on here? This is an outrage. Yeah, hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> Nudge, uh, But check that out. Um, watch my stand-up special, State of the Union, on Amazon Prime. And uh, as I said earlier, don't be mad at Ellen. Just be mad at Oprah. It's all Oprah's fault, everybody. Oprah duped us all, you know, and, and I think if we're going to solve this problem, Dean, let's let's take it to Oprah. Let's take the fight yeah. to Oprah. I've had it with her. Enough of this. But the show is over, man. Yo, I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you Friday. Are we doing a shop on Friday? Oh, yeah. I'll oh. be in the shop Friday oh. afternoon. I'll be in the shop. Oh, that's a big deal. Shop is open. All right. I, I, I stopped talking at this point because nothing that goes on in the shop is discussable in a public forum. <laughs> I'll see everybody later. Great stuff, man. Take care. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. Dean Imperial, best of the best. Uh, Sean Barry, another stellar effort by you. Tomorrow, Jessica Tarlov. Maybe, pound for pound, right up there with Antoine Seawright is my best liberal friend in the world. No one I like talking to more. I've interviewed her a hundred times on the radio. But we're going to do a Thursday, a little Thirsty Thursday hangout tomorrow on the Mictor's Voice Line. Just to show these kids how it's done. We're going to do this in the name of Ellen and George. We're going to hang out and coexist with some comedy. Okay, Sean? Love it. All right, rock and roll. This is the You're looking at me like, yo, Jimmy, you know I shut your mic off nine minutes ago, right? <laughs> Sometimes Sean just drives home and I sit here in the studio talking to the wall. I'm like, coming up next. All right, the show's over. Get the fuck out. Sorry, take care. <laughs> Go home to mommy. Go home. Bye. Go home to mommy. Go home to mommy.